Hello, lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again, and we have a fun one in store for all of y'all today. Um, we have uh, Brian Baum, the Thicky Time Bomb, uh, one half of the bakery up out of the Fallout Shelter in uh, in New York City, on the show this week. Uh, someone who has been um, showed up coast to coast in their relatively young pro wrestling career at this point. You know, we've seen them at Full Queer. We just saw him make his debut on the main card at Battle Club Pro at Jobber Slam 3 this past weekend. Um, and someone who uh, I've been excitedly watching as they've as they've grown over the last year especially um in their career and just kind of watching them grow into who brian bomb is in a way and so we had an awesome chance to sit down and talk to him uh, not just about the pro wrestling journey or you know how he got into the the pro wrestling world but also you know his kind of like his mission of being in the pro wrestling world right um a mission defined by you know representation and empowerment and being the the person that he didn't get to see um in the pro wrestling world whenever he was coming up you know and yeah this is a really great conversation can't wait for all of y'all to hear it and we'll get right to that here in just a second but before we do. I just wanted to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping. So obviously it is August now. We did not have our Patreon monthly uh, show for subscribers go up uh, before the end of July, which is a bummer. Um, just want to clarify this right now. Myself and Hollis, we recorded uh, an episode of Required Reading for July, uh, but when we were recording it, uh, I made the mistake of... Um, Maybe not paying attention to the record button. So we had to re-record it again, um, and we did that on August 1st. So I'm in the process of editing that right now. So Patreon backers should be seeing that going up in the Patreon feed uh, by the end of this week. I do apologize. We are still planning uh, an episode for August as well. So you'll get a little bit of a double dose here in, for in a month's span time. But but yeah, uh, it, it was really frustrating, and, and uh, we talk about it in the, in the second recording a little bit. So I'll save all of that conversation right there. But yeah, I just wanted to apologize about that. Um, and I'm excited for when the episode drops, though. You know, we're looking at Dusty Rhodes versus Steve Carino in a Texas bull rope match from ECW Living Dangerously 2000. And we're talking about that in discussion with the 1962 John Ford Western, um, the man who shot Liberty Valance. So watch out for that. And if you want to hear that and you're not subscribed to our Patreon, go over there and subscribe at the $5 tier, patreon.com slash LGBT ring pod. Uh, all kinds of uh, good stuff going to be going up there over the course of the month. Looks a little bare right now because we're only two months into this thing, <laughs> or three months at this point. But um, we're going to keep adding that library uh, every month and just keep giving y'all some extra, some extra goodies for as a thank you for supporting the show financially in that way. All right, I've talked enough about my own fuck ups. <laughs> on hitting record buttons. Let's jump into my interview with Brian Baum. 
What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And I'm very pleased to have as my guest this week uh, someone who is just starting out in their pro wrestling journey. They've been in this a little over a year at this point, but they have a very interesting path and story to tell about how they have gotten into the pro wrestling world. They just made their debut on the Battle Club Pro's main card at Jobber Slam 3 this past weekend. Please welcome one half of the bakery and perhaps the only person who rivals Tommy Purr as the number one Sable fan in the pro wrestling world, Brian Baum. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm good. And just a correction, I am the number one Sable fan. So just let <laughs> I will let you and Tommy sort that out. <laughs> that is between the two of you. I am I am sovereign, I'm a sovereign nation in this. I'm out of this fight. Probably, probably smart. We'll have our we'll have our cat fight one day and see who the real Sable fan. There we go. That's that's the the right way to settle this, right? Two exactly. of you in the ring. Yep. Which I would really look forward to one day, in all sincerity. <laughs> well, Brian, it's been interesting kind of watching you over the last year because, like, I have been paying attention to, to what you've been doing. You know, uh, both in New York as well as over in California with some of the shows of Full Queer that you've been doing and training at the Fallout Shelter and everything like that. And I will say just visually, you are very intriguing. <laughs> you have very, very big pops of color, which I'm always a fan of. Um, but it's been also interesting to see like just how your um, the relationships that you've had around pro wrestling have also kind of built up over the time like you know uh, it, and that's kind of key to as well as i was talking to you off air before we started going here that it kind of speaks a lot to how you even started in this journey so to speak because like we have a mutual friend in one marco mayor and and it turns out like there's a integral piece of marco in the in the start of brian bomb yeah for sure i mean there's there's two people marco being one of them who really, uh, I would say, are, were friends and mentors of me in getting involved as a as a wrestler. The other person being Mia Yim, who I just call Stephanie. Um, but Marco was somebody that I met through a wrestling group. Like it was an online Facebook gay people we love wrestling group. Um, and I first met him at WrestleMania in New York. It was at thirty four. What was the one that Becky Lynch main evented? Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but it was in 2019. So that would have put her at maybe like 35 or 36. Yeah, one of it's definitely yeah, yeah one of so that's where he, he was wearing this like whole colorful gear. Um, nice guy, and I never thought like we'd become friends or something, right? Like online friends group. So, but we met, we we hit it off, and we kept seeing each other. The best. Usually would go together. The group of us would go to like Royal Rumbles and WrestleMania, um, and that's when he had just gotten back into wrestling. I think he had started wrestling when he was younger. Took a lot of time off and came back. Um, and during the pandemic, like everyone else, just kind of evaluating like what brings me joy. Life is short. Um, I don't want to let my life go go by without chasing the things that make me happy. And this nudge to get in the ring and it like just check off one match on my bucket list kept coming up. So I reached out to Marco. I was like, what do you think if I come to California and just have a match? Um, and he is just like the most supportive person. He's like, sure, come. You can train. We can put a match together. I, I wrestled him. Um, and we'll just have fun, right? Uh, 
So I went to San Francisco to East Bay's Pro Wrestling, um, and I trained there for maybe a max of three hours. Um, and I learned the fundamental. I'm almost like nervous to share this because you know there's there can be a stigma of people getting in the ring who are not fully trained. But the caveat here is that I was going against a friend. It was very scripted. It was just for fun. It wasn't like in front of a big crowd or anything like that. It was meant just really for for my own bucket list. Um, and it was a blast. You know, Marco said that I was uh, sort of a natural that I took to it. It was it was hard, but it was fun. Like you know falling on a mat, doing suplexes, like, it just felt right, just to take a, a, a word out of Lita's book, um, and I was wrong, I thought, like, I'd have the match, it'd be fun, I'd look back on it, and be like, I'm glad I did that, but all that really happened was the bug bit me, and I just kept wanting to go back in the ring, um, and kept, that thought after that match kept coming up, like, maybe I should train, maybe I should train, I think it was a year later that I finally found the school in New York uh, from the suggestion of, of Stephanie Mia Yim, and the rest is history. This is, is a very interesting route in into the pro wrestling world, really, because, like, you know, I feel like that's something that a lot of people w would jump on the chance to do, right? Just to have, like, you know, a, a training session and have a match and, like, have that you know, a lot of people have like a wrestling match on their bucket list, right? Especially people that are so engrossed in the fandom and that sort of thing. And like, you don't really, there aren't really places or people that give that kind of opportunity in, in the wrestling world right now. Like the, the closest thing I can think of to something like that was like back when I was living in Atlanta at WWA four prior to AR Fox taking it over, like they offered like a four day camp for people to come in and like try it out and then you would have a match at the end or something and like that sort of thing. But like this, that isn't even this, this is just like, you're going, you're, you're going there with, with a friend, someone who you've gotten close with and they're kind of prepping you for this thing. And ultimately it just snatches onto you. Like, I'm, I'm curious, like what, was there any like particular part of it that, um, that hooked you more so than, than anything else? Um, I don't know. If, I mean, it was really just all of it. Like I was so nervous that it was going to be um, maybe impossible that like my cardio shape wasn't going to be up to par. Um, and let me tell you, cardio and wrestling is a real thing and it's very challenging. So <laughs> it wasn't like I went in the ring and I was like, I am breathing great. I was huffing and puffing at the end of that thing, but it was just, um, it just hit all my senses, right? Like acting, being extroverted, the physicality of it. Um, I tend to be someone who, like many people, have anxiety issues and that. Um, and the ring was like an escape. It was just like I was fully present in what was happening. Um, and I just felt so much joy, you know? And I uh, had struggled with like depression and anxiety, like really bad clinical stuff. Um, for the years prior. And so to just have that feeling of of bliss and joy um, just felt really, really good. Um, and I think that really was one of the reasons I was like, again, going back to COVID, like what brings me joy? What, like, what can I do that just makes me happy? Um, and that match and doing that just checked it off. And I feel like that's true for a lot of people um, who get into wrestling, which could also be dangerous, right? But um, for me, it was just uh, 
it's just it was just exhilarating. Mm. I mean, you're right in speaking to the potential danger there, but it's all in like understanding like where you fit into these things, your relationship with these things, right? And I feel like that the viewpoint on those has has changed greatly over the span of wrestling's life and that sort of thing. Like to where now, like you know, I think a lot of people have a much more positive relationship with it but at the same time like there's still a lot about wrestling that could just grind on you mentally in that way um talk to me about mia yim where does mia yim fit into this for you is is it just like she suggests the fallout shelter for you after this whole thing or is there like something before this yeah she's uh i mean you know, our public persona is similar to us here with Shelton, and we just, like, pretend to hate each other. Um, and I'll just break the fourth wall here. Now, she's, like, a really close friend, very, very fantastic. We've met each other in a very um, intimate kind of moment. I was, I so in my personal life, my shoot job, I think that's the term, I work in public policy, and I manage um, communications. Um, and so that's the career that I built for myself outside of wrestling. Um, and I was working at the time at a domestic violence, um, anti-violence organization at large. So like working on issues of human trafficking, child abuse, et cetera. Um, we were doing a public, uh, and this is all public record, which is why I feel comfortable sharing it. But we were doing a domestic violence campaign and me being a wrestling fan kept noticing and um, me, Stephanie, I'm gonna call her Stephanie for this, or I'll call her Mia so people know who she is, but it's a little it's a little awkward for me. But me <laughs> she was liking a lot of the tweets and I noticed that and I was like, wait, that's a wrestler. And she was at Impact at the time as Jade. Um, and I don't know who reached out to who first. I think I may have. And I think I think I said something like, hey, I noticed that you're liking these things. If you ever want to collaborate or talk, let me know. Um, which to me was a little bit of a gamble because I worked at an anti-violence organization. And then the big question of like, is wrestling violent? Like, why would you have a wrestler who's, simulating fighting as, as potentially partnering with your organization. But for me, showcasing survivors who aren't typical um, and who aren't just what you would expect is very important because anybody can can go through, a, can be a survivor or a victim of a violent act and, and all deserve support and compassion. To make a long story short, um, she eventually shared with me that she was a survivor of domestic violence um, and that had she had been wanting to share her story um and so we eventually did that she partnered with us on the campaign that's how we got to know each other i try to make it safe for her at every turn and and really just give the power to her but just kind of present the platform for her and the framework of which she could do it um and that's how we met and um i ended up doing a documentary with her for vice which is a phenomenal documentary on women's wrestling and and um uh you know what they go through in, in terms of dealing with violence or dealing with, you know, gender issues, et cetera. Um, and we got to know each other. It was her, Lava Bates was there. She was just kind of supporting uh, Stephanie and Mia. Um, and we got to know each other really well on that trip. And we just realized we really liked each other and we stayed in touch. And um, when I told her I wanted to be a wrestler, she was like, yeah, my, my I know this group in, in New York. They'll take care of you. They're great. Because one of my big fears was, I'm a gay guy. I'm a proud gay guy. I'm unapologetic. Um, but we all have trauma about male locker rooms and, you know, machismo and all those things. And I was really fearful about being in a space that maybe some of that stuff could come up. But um, I trust Mia. 
and she recommended it. So um, at her recommendation, I was like, I'll try it out. Like I know, I know that she wouldn't intentionally steer me in the wrong direction, and she really did it. Um, so, mm. what was your first impression of Fallout Shelter? Like whenever you got in there, because like I've talked to Spice about about Fallout Shelter a little bit, you know, but like it's still kind of like one of those schools that it's not super high profile, so there's not much like known about like the the environment there. I'm curious to hear. Yeah, and, and Spice is a, a good friend of mine. Really, she was somebody I met um, early on and really took to her. My first impression was like, wow, what a what a really small room this ring is in. Because that's like, it's, <laughs> it's not the thing. I'm sure a lot of people have that where it's like, you know, it's not WWE NXT Performance Center like that we all wish we could have access to. But it was uh, the the environment has since changed. Like it's in a different um, facility now. But at the time, it was in. Um, Queens. I don't know if anyone knows New York, but it's a borough right outside of the main city, New York City, Manhattan. Um, it was in Queens. It was in like um, uh, like a mailhouse kind of thing. Like I, I feel like every wrestling school I go to is always in some bat cave, like really <laughs> and this was no different. So the walls were really uh, short and low, so we couldn't do like you know I couldn't go do a moonsault by my first or even a crossbody. And you stand on the turnbuck and you can touch the top. Um, but I, it just, again, like, I feel like Lita's in me in this conversation, but it just felt right. Like, it was so hot. It was so grimy. But um, everybody was really nice to me. I met the owner, Joe Kim, the first day. He was such a sweetheart. Um, I immediately felt safe. Um, at least that's my just my personal um, experience. Um, but it was it definitely gave that wrestling vibe of, like, uh really small space you know there was obviously the, the mat was like probably needed to go into the locker um but it just felt like oh, i'm here this is exciting this is really exciting um obviously nervous as fuck right like i i took the mental note of all the guys in the room um and i was like I hope these are some cool guys right because i'm gonna be who i am um but it was it was more than anything i was just excited um very very nervous right like i think the first day they made us jog uh, five times around the block. And I was like, oh, this is a lot. Um, and then we had to like bump after. So it just, it definitely felt like athletic wise, it was going to be a real um, challenge and test for me to see if I could keep up. I mean, I feel like that's what a lot of people hear about in those like first few days at, at training, right? Is about like, you know, putting you through not necessarily the, the ringer, so to speak. I feel like that's that has a connotation more so to what we see in like 20 years ago in terms of what people were doing to get into the business. But like it, you're still being tested, like you're still being like pushed to to new limits for yourself and kind of realizing like how much of that desire is like solid for you there and not to mention the fact that you talked about like going into a school that you know mia vouched for for being an inclusive environment that sort of thing but you're still going in there not necessarily knowing 100 what's going to happen how people are going to be with you and that sort of thing and like that's just that just sounds like a mixture for uh for an anxiety bomb that just sits in your stomach for hours <laughs> Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I, I I still get anxiety going to practice sometimes because you're just like on display. But especially in the beginning, there was like an anxiety attack 
every, before every practice, right? Like, can I do this? Am I going to blow up today? I also, um, you know, have asthma. And so like, there was always these fears around like, will I keep up? Will, will I be good enough? Um, but I've done a lot of therapy. And so I, I, I practice a lot of acceptance around <laughs> how I feel. I'm not one to judge my feelings. Like I would just go in every day and say like, you know what? It's just practice. You'll do your best. Um, put your best foot forward. If you need to take a break, you'll do that. I was always very kind to myself um, and pushed myself. But yeah, every every day, especially in the beginning before practice, it was it was always um, just dealing with the thoughts that came into my head, um, um, and then just trying to do my best. But uh, but once you're in the ring and it's it starts and you start forming relationships, I felt like often um, as soon as I got in the ring, it was just like a mind clarity that um that you can only get once once you're putting once once your body is physical and moving mm -hmm. it's like almost like completing the stress cycle right like moving getting your body moving and that sort of thing and the thoughts start to go away and the focus becomes on like the positive stuff that that is going on like that, those are lessons I'm still learning about for myself today for, in my own day to day life. So, like, that's why it just clicked in my brain. Like, oh, the thing I talked to my therapist about. Um, <laughs> the same therapy conversation. So, yes. <laughs> so, at what point does the Brian Baum persona start to materialize for you? Obviously, you can see a whole lot of Sable influence in there for obvious reasons. But I'm curious, like, when did this whole package start to come together for you? It's like, this is who I want to be in this world. It's such an interesting, for me, it's an interesting story. I don't know if it's interesting to other people, but when I had my first match, I was just stable light, you know, like I wore, I wanted to, you know, I can't say every gay guy, but many gay guys I know, and this was especially true to myself, like I always wanted to be the female character. I wanted to be Princess Peach. I wanted to be um, Tony. I wanted to be, I don't know, the, Nikita, I think is the Mortal Kombat person. I'm not sure. Um, I wanted to be the Little Mermaid, right? So um, as a kid, Sable was like, I, I didn't want to like sleep with her. I wanted to be her. So this was kind of living out that fantasy, like my first match. So I came out in a, in a really dusty blonde wig, kind of as a joke, but I wore her exact wrestling outfit. I had black black briefs, her sable bomb shirt. She wore those, um, I'm not sure if you remember, but she wore those kick, those black kick pants that had the white lining. Yeah. So, it was sable. I was the Puerto Rican sable, you know, like it was, uh, that's what I was. It was, and that's, it was just for fun, right? But once I became, once I decided I wanted to wrestle, I was, I wanted to distance myself a little bit from that, right? And I had to ask the question, like, who, what am I, who am I? Um, the Brian Baum name just came from a friend who randomly called it to me. He was like, oh, Brian Baum, right? Sable Baum, because that was her finisher. It just stuck. It was never like an intentional, like, I am Brian Baum for XYZ reason. I was like, I need a name and this is it. Um, and now it's too late to go anywhere else with it. because That's just who I am. But I realized I hate black. Every wrestler, most wrestlers wear black. And I was like, clearly I can't do that. I need to stand out in some way. Um, and I'm a huge fan of like pop art, of Keith Haring, um, of, of colors. And so I think when you look at my gear, you can see influences of that. The Brian Baum logo that I have is actually um, a callback to Keith Haring's um, artwork. So if mm -hmm. you can side to side, you'll see 
you'll see the influence of Keith Haring um, in my logo and in my colors. Um, the colors came from these wrestling boots that I like. So the, my colors are pink, yellow, and blue. And I just ran, I always liked colors and I ran with all these, big, these boots and I was like, oh, those are my colors. So a lot of it was just like random, but also influences of who I am. Um, and I feel like, you know, again, being influenced by women and women wrestlers, like the whole hot thing right now is to do the Rhea Ripley, like thigh strap, like every women's wrestler is doing it. And I was like, some of the guys are doing it, right? Like Sunny Kiss, et cetera. But I was like, guys aren't really doing this and I like it and I'm just going to do it. So instead of doing the strap, I wore a jock strap, which is like a callback to gay culture, right? So, um, so it was all very intentional in that sense, right? Like it was that part of like being gay and being proud. It was my love for Keith Haring. And then the Sable influence is there too, right? Like Brian Baum, Sable Baum, it's in the same kind of um, aesthetic in terms of like being circular, but with the Keith Haring influence. Mm -hmm. And so like all these little parts of me um, made the character. And one of the big lessons that I learned in characters is like the character involved in the, the trial and tribulations that you go through. So who Brian Baum is and is becoming is going to be influenced by my journey that I'm still having. Um, but that's who he is now. And that's how I, that's why I present the way I do because of, um, um, of all those things. And the last thing I'll say in that is I bring a whip to the ring, a blue whip. Um, that's yes. very much <laughs> one that's kind of like, no, I don't see anyone else doing that. And so it's different, but it's very much an ode to Sable when she first started her career, she would come out with a whip. Um, and if you hear my entrance song, at first I was like, I'm going to come out to Sable's music, but I was like, that's too literal. Um, but the the round cat whip is is definitely in there as a homage to her, which I am absolutely obsessed with. I did notice that when I was watching Jobber Slam uh, before we before we hopped on the call. Um, I definitely noticed the timing of it, and it was just like, uh, just perfect. And like, I do like all of the different like odes to gay and queer culture that are in the the attire too. Like you mentioned, the jockstrap, of course, like that points straight back to to the gay community. Even like the color scheme, like you have the pan, that's the pansexual flag, yeah, right yeah. there. Like it's always on display there in that way. And like, and you speak to like you know the pop art influences, like those sunglasses. Like, is there anything more pop arty <laughs> than those sunglasses that you wear to the ring? I don't think so. I mean, I I love those glasses. I actually try to buy all of them so no one else could take it. Um, but it, I just feel like it works so well. Um, and, you know, the pops of color, like I wear hot pink, I wear yellow, I wear hot yellows and hot blues. Like all of that is is an ode to, to pop art. Um, and it just, it, you know, one of the things Mia told me is like, you just have to be yourself. Because um, when I first started my journey, I was like, I'm gay, but I don't want people to think I'm, um, I was never not proud to be gay. It was always like, that was never a question, but it was like, I don't want to be a stereotype, right? Like, I don't want to be the flamboyant person because that's what people think gay people should be. But I'm also naturally flamboyant, you know, and I had a, I had to accept that, like, I can't control how people view or place me, but I need to be authentic. And so once I accepted that, that's when the colors and the, you know, the non-Black gear and, and feeling like I could just be me, regardless of how people would place, you know, I'm sure some people say that's the gay character. I can't control that, but um, I'm always going to lead with being authentic. 
I think that's really the most important aspect of of that sort of expression of character, right? Because I can understand feeling pressured to maybe like not put as much of like a flamboyant spin on something in the very beginning when you're first entering this world, especially knowing like how that sort of character has historically been portrayed in the world of pro wrestling, even if that was done by some straight dudes who are queer coded shit. Um, but one thing that I've really enjoyed, and, and I bring this up a lot when talking about this, because we're still kind of in like the, the evolution of it is like queer wrestlers understanding that it's all about their own agency and what they put into how they express their, their own queerness or like how little they express their queerness in a way. And that that doesn't take away from any aspect of your identity and what you personally hold for yourself. And like, that's really cool to like hear that you kind of had a little bit of a, of a journey there, so to speak. Like, was there anything that kind of pointed you in that direction that was just like, okay, no, I need to just be, I just need to put myself into this. I just put like, my own personality into this because that's what makes me the most comfortable and, and happy. Um, I don't know if there was a, God, I wish I could remember like a specific moment, but it was just, it was just a feeling that kept uh, nagging at me. Like I just have to be authentic. And it's also hard to perform as a character when you don't, when you're not feeling true to like what you, what you want to do. Um, so for me, it was just living being authentic, um, and in some ways it was like resistance, right? It was just like, I know that this may not be everyone's cup of tea, but it's important for me and for other people who are part of the larger community to to see more people. Because I don't want to say see, so, see someone. There's so many great queer wrestlers in the space who are doing their thing, who I'm huge fans of and, and deserve so much praise. But in New York, I'm always shocked by how little um, how invisible sometimes the queer scene can be in wrestling. I don't think that was always the case, but when you go to like California, it's like, God, sometimes I'm jealous of what I see there because there's so much visibility. You know, there's like Hood Slam, there's Full Queer, there's all these like amazing, talented folks who are just doing great things. Um, and then you come to New York and my, there's queer wrestlers here but my personal experience um, has been a, a lot less of that. Um, it has been a lot more sort of like macho and like catering to a more urban audience. Um, and I come from an urban background and you know, I grew up poor in the projects in, in New York City. Um, but there wasn't, it, I personally, and I, maybe I just haven't found those spaces yet and I'm still learning and trying to find like where, you know, where they may exist. But for me, there wasn't a lot of that. And so um, I often thought like, okay, not a I don't, I'm gonna use the word responsibility, but I felt this pull, like I gotta be visible. Um, I gotta be authentic because um, it's, it's needed or it's what I wanna do first and foremost, but I feel like it was all, also this act of resistance and, and being bold and being front and center as somebody who is probably LGBTQ, like I'm not a gay character, that's not at all how I see myself, but I am a wrestler who is proud to be gay. And that's, and I, I want that to be okay, you know? All 
right, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. We're just going to take a quick break here to let you know uh, ways that you can support the show. And say thank you to some very rad people that help make this show uh, as amazing as it is. Um, first off, if you would like to support the show, we are on Patreon now. Patreon.com slash LGBT Ring Pod. Multiple tiers there for everyone that feels so moved to support this show. We've got numerous uh, patron benefits over there, uh, including bonus shows that are going to be coming out on a monthly uh, roundtable of those sort of things. So uh, definitely go over and check us out. Uh, again, patreon.com slash LGBTRingPod. Every single dollar that is... Uh, pledge there to support the show is very very humbling and we thank you we also have a, a merch store over on brainbuster tees go to brainbustertees.com and search lgbt in the ring uh you get t-shirts tank tops all kinds of good stuff and you know always looking at some new things as well but uh, definitely check us out on brainbuster tees there as well you can follow the show on social media as well we're everywhere um, that we have accounts. We're at LGBT RingPod. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, co-host, <laughs> Mastodon, whatever. We're there. Uh, so follow the show there. You can follow me at WonderboyOTM on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. We also want to give a huge thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme, uh, Formula 666, from the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, or you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp. Another great way to support the show uh, is over at independentwrestling.tv. Check out IWTV for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. You can use our code LGBTRingPod or visit uh, the URL, tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT. And uh, whenever you, uh, as long as you use that code to open your account and keep that active, we get a kickback from IWTV. So your subscription to watch all the great wrestling that we talk about on this show uh, goes to support the show as well. Thumbs up there. Of course, if you want to read more of my pro wrestling writing, you can check out outsports.com. And if you are into video games, I also co-host a video game news uh, Twitch stream every Monday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. Um, I co-host that with uh, two dear friends and Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. Um, just run through the, the week's gaming news or we throw on a game and play and just have fun and be dumb. It's it's great. But uh, you can check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment, sun like the star. With that said, let's get back to the show. And you're right. Like I don't think a lot of people think about New York City in that context, really, but like outside of like Fallout Shelter and maybe like and T2T, like those are like the two spots for for queer wrestlers really in in the five boroughs right now, you know. Like I know obviously like House of Glory runs over there, like Uncanny Attractions used to run there, and like they were like one of the gayest things that I saw for a long time in pro wrestling, and I love it. I'm just glad that they're back up and running. 
uh, down in Texas, but you know, you don't like a lot of queer people train there and cut their teeth there, but where you actually wrestle is like outside of the city, which is a really interesting dynamic to me, considering like how New York city is viewed as like, you know, a queer, a queer culture Mecca by a lot, a lot of people. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and I think you put it really well. Like, there's a there's people I've met who are openly queer, um, but when you go to the shows, it's not you don't see it. You know, it's and it's not that some of those people aren't there. Some of them are, and they're just not, you know, coming out with rainbow flags, and that's their right. And there's that's a beautiful thing. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you go to like California, you see like a lot of the queer shows. There's like there's some great stuff happening in like Las Vegas. There's there's so much happening in California. There's that show in Texas, um, and there have been shows in New York, but I feel like it's booming so much more in other places. Which to your point is kind of like a for me a mind fuck for a lack of better words because it's like New York is like the liberal like Mecca, like anything goes, diversity is important and beautiful. Um, but that doesn't always seem to be, uh, at least when it comes to queer representation, how it is displayed in New York. And again, I could be speaking out of ignorance, just not having been exposed to those places. But my personal experience in the rooms that I've been in, I've, I've felt that yearn to be visible. Um, I remember it was at a battle club show this past June, um, amazing show card. Like I have so many friends who are on the card, um, but I remember feeling like, oh, like I wish I could be on the show or someone else could be on the show who like was visibly queer because I feel like I'm just not seeing that. And I, that was sparked because I looked in the audience and there were these two guys who I perceived to be, to be gay. I don't exactly know if that they were or not, but to me, they were, at least that's how I pursued them to be. And I just remember feeling like, wouldn't it be cool for them to see someone come out who they can just like, yeah, girl, come get it, you know, like kind of, you know, <laughs> that beauty and seeing yourself reflected. Um, and that was a moment for me. I was like, I, I look forward to the day when I can come out um, in a show where there's not many, maybe many people like me and I can be visible and apologetic and there could be some queer folks in the crowd who feel energized and maybe safer to be who they are in those in those spaces again battle club is like great and has always been great to me so it's this is not commentary on them um but it's just the reality of like how i've moved and what i've what i've what i've experienced and so it's actually funny because um well maybe we'll talk about the battle club show in, in a bit but when i did do the club there were some experiences that were very affirming that um that I did the right thing. Well, I mean, I was going to say that's a perfect segue into Jobber Slam 3 and, and what just happened over the, the last weekend, you know, because like Battle Club Pro, you know, it has a legacy of highlighting queer talent. I mean, obviously Anthony Bowens was the first franchise champion, came out of there onto all the stuff he's doing now. Ashley Vox was tag team champion there. Um, yep. Another like outstanding out talent. Um you know, MV Young has gone through that, has gone through that, that promotion at times too. Like there are, there are people like heavy hitters within the community that have come through Battle Club Pro. Um, and I don't think that it, that company usually gets the spotlight on that legacy as often as other places do. Yep. Um, for whatever reason. 
but you know, I've I've really enjoyed covering Battle Club Pro since I started doing this as a as a profession um for that reason. And seeing you and the moment that you had at Jobber Slam three kind of speaks to that legacy again. You know, whenever you were you came out with the the pride flag, the progress pride flag as a cape. Um, like, you know, crowd was cheering for that moment and, and everything. And then um, I believe you put it out on, on your Twitter and, and you probably will do a better job of explaining it than I can, but like this interaction with, with a fan that was in the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just to, to back up, yeah. Battle club has been great. And I think there's, there's a legacy of, of highlighting different people that's like built into who the owner is and, and what they want to portray, like diversity and highlighting our communities. And what I mean by that is like black and brown people, you know, I'm also Puerto Rican and very proud of that. Highlighting queer people, like people are just not general sort of like what you would think of wrestlers, like sort of a tall white cisgender man. Um, and they've been phenomenal at that and deserve all their flowers. And Joe Kim Morales um, is a is a big reason that happens. He's very sort of sometimes of getting his flowers, but he deserves it because um, he's, in, he's intentional about creating that space. And I almost see myself as sort of part of like, the the next sort of generation or crew because you know Anthony Bowens a lot of the people you mentioned have sort of I mean Anthony Bowens on AEW now and doing great things right so um, they're not around in that battle club sphere anymore um, and so it's like who are the next folks to sort of take that flag and like kind of move it forward um, but at the at Jobber Slam three it was I was I don't often come out with the flag like that's not something I do but for like sort of my my debut, which was big for me, um, I wanted to do something that was special, and having the flag was a no-brainer. I'm not sure how it like came out, but my intention was to have like a RuPaul Drag Race moment, you know, listed on a budget and and with multiple clothes. I'm not, you know, the, these amazing drag queens who can like sew these amazing outfits. Um, but I had like this fake like short wig on because my I dyed my hair blonde, so I wanted to take the brown hair off with my natural color and like reveal the wig. And then I wanted to um, take my pink jacket, and then when I take it off, the flag flow down. Um, it kind of—I think it came out nice, but there were, you know, some little technical errors. Um, but that was important to me, you know, going back to the story I shared earlier of like those two who I thought to be queer people at the last show. I wanted to people to see themselves reflected in the show, and so I wanted—I knew for me it was important to be visible. Um, I was also really nervous, right? Like New York is a. Um, very liberal city for the most part. Joe Kim is a great person, but those two factors don't control how people react, right? And we have seen with a lot of like anti-trans policies and and just um, anti-LGBTQ, um, you know, sort of issues and things that we're seeing in our world and in our country. I have seen people in New York who, you know, do things that I wouldn't expect them to do, right? Like just Two days ago, there was a murder of a black gay man, you know, who was just visibly himself and um, and just voguing, right? So New York may feel safer and, and in many ways be safer, but it doesn't mean that that hate doesn't exist. And so it was still a little bit of a gamble, right? Like I was like, am I going to get booed or am I going to hear sort of mumbers of somebody saying something against me? Um, so for me, it was it was definitely an act of courage and like resistance. Um, but I was so pleasantly surprised when I took off the jacket. Um, 
you'll see if you watch the footage, I, I take the jacket off and the flag falls down and there's some like claps. And when I heard those claps, it kind of like, it motivated me to like take the cape off and kind of share it up higher, which got even a, a bigger applause. Um, and I got emotional in that moment because it was just, I was like, good. Um, there's so much nastiness and hate in this world. And it felt good to feel like that's not everybody. Um, and it was important for me that the flag was not just the, the run of the mill rainbow flag, but that it included the black and brown, that it especially included the trans flag, um, given what's happening with our trans community. And so for me, that was really important. Um, and regardless of the moves I did in the ring and those other moments, that was the biggest moment of that day for me was doing that and um, uh, just starting and being the first person to enter that rumble. Um, it was a really special moment to me. Um, and I had, uh, there was this two people come up to me after one was a young black queer guy um, who just said like, it was really awesome to see. And then the one that really touched me was this older gentleman who came up to me that said his trans daughter was in the crowd and that she was really touched by it and that she thought it was, you know, she had left at that point because um, she had left during intermission, um, but that she was hoping to meet me and that she felt uh, that she was really appreciative um, that there was that visibility. And that really touched me, not just because of like, it wasn't for myself, but this was an older gentleman. And to hear a dad say like, they have a trans daughter who they support, um, that to me meant a lot, you know? And I, I give a lot of props to that dad for, for being a, a father who, as I, as least as I understand, unconditionally loved their daughter um, and could come up to me and share that with me it was very, very special. I mean, I would, I would say so. I mean, you don't. I mean, it's it's always great to to meet a parent who, a, who is supportive of of their trans child to begin with. But not only that, but like having a direct impact on that person and being able to be. The representation that you wanted to be for those for those you know presumably queer men that were in in the crowd at the battle club show like it just whenever whenever we started talking before um you know you came on the show like one of the things that you mentioned to me was that like part of the mission or it might not even be like a good a good portion of the mission of brian bomb in pro wrestling was to like be a visible like message of support, a visible message of representation for the wrestling world for the for the queer community in that way. And you know, I've I've spoken to, to to many people who have like talked about moments where like they have fan interactions about like you know, you know, thanking them for for being who they are, for you know, doing what they do and that sort of thing. But like, I don't know. It's very rare to have that happen like so early into your career and especially in the climate that we are in right now as you speak to you know like it's it's one of those things that any modicum of respect safety and acceptance that can be extended um to to people that are being affected by those things it, it speaks volumes to people and like that i don't know like the fact that like that the first thing you like that being the first thing you mentioned to me about like your desire to be in pro wrestling, not thinking about like titles or building a career out of this thing, but like the first thing you mentioned is like, I want to be a voice for this community. Like that struck me as like 
just something that just like cuts so deep to like this personal core of of what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And that, I mean, that just comes from my personal life. Like I grew up in um, Catholic school with messages that being gay is bad. It's a sin that you'll go to hell. I'm not a religious person in my adulthood, but that's how I grew up. And I used to pray every night to wake up straight, um, to feel attracted to girls, to, to have a wife and kids. It was a really traumatic time in my life. Um, and I never thought as a young boy that um, those urges and desires I had that I could ever act on them. And I always imagined that I'd have to suppress who I was my whole life. Um, I'm also, uh, again, Puerto Rican. And so for me, there's that part of it as well, wanting to succeed in my career outside of wrestling and not seeing a lot of people in the C-suite who are, you know, Latino and, and you know, look like me or um, things like that. And so once I accepted who I was and I kind of got over a lot of that brainwashing that was internalized in me um, and also saw success in my career, um, you know, I, I'm part of the C-suite now. I'm an executive as, at a public policy organization. And I am the gayest, most proud Puerto Rican person. And a lot of that's intentional. I want I want people who are growing in their careers, whether in wrestling or in public policy or in communications, to know that I'm a resource. Um, and Marco's also really good at this. Um, it's not just about like our own success. Obviously, I care about my success and what I do, but I really firmly believe it's like you pull people up with you um, and you create space for each other. And so, you know, like Marco, like myself, and there's other people in, you know, I think like Effie, um, like Nyla Rose, there's so many people who are doing this. It's like we succeed when all of us succeed. And so it's it's almost kind of like women's wrestling, right? Like we're not, we shouldn't be here to compete against each other and like who's the real pioneer, who's this or that. But like, how do we create, how do we get into positions of power? How do we create moments and opportunities for all of us to benefit? Um, because I cannot begin to tell you even early in my career, how often other LGBTQ people, gay men, et cetera, just tell me how they feel like they're typecasted or not booked or, you know, not given opportunities because there's only one gay guy on the show, right? Or there's only, or that's not what the promoter wants. Um, and so for me, it's like, how do I facilitate connections? How do I um, create visibility so that even if it's just changing the culture um, that I'm doing that? And that's, again, that's that translates into wrestling, but that just comes from my personal life of, as a young boy, feeling so invisible and feeling like that I would never lead a life where I could be myself. Well, I'm glad that you're leading that life now. And Absolutely. we're all benefiting from seeing you and Marco getting catty all over Twitter all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> well, you will continue to see it because that is my perpetual um, you know, feud forever. I will always drag him, but with a lot of love and appreciation, but also, you know, stable Bobby right there. There you go. There you go. Well, Brian, thank you so much for for taking the time to, to come on the show. Let everybody know where they can uh find you online. Yeah, um, I'm on all the major what is it, Twitter? Now I don't know. I don't know. I'm still calling it Twitter personally, but whatever. I call it Twitter because I, but I'm on Twitter, Instagram, um, and TikTok. It's either Brian Bomb, and if you don't find me there, then it's like real Brian Bomb because that someone else took my handle. I'll have to fight them for it. But yeah, I love to engage with people, follow me, um, you know, and I'll see people online. And thank you, Brian. I uh, 
you know, I want to make sure that you feel love and, and appreciation for what you've created. Um, you are a real, um, you know, not just ally, but person who's part of the, of the community, but you're someone who's created so much for the community to be highlighted, um, whether it's through this podcast, through the rankings, um, et cetera. So I want to make sure that you know that like you're doing so much um, and we appreciate you. So thank you for who you are. Oh, thank you very much, Brian. <laughs> Boris. Thank you again to Brian for taking the time to sit down and, and chat about his wrestling journey and his wrestling mission and his wrestling inspirations as well. You know, we didn't really talk much about Sable here, but trust me, take one look at Brian Baum. You'll see the Sable all over it, and I absolutely adore it. I'm waiting for Brian Baum versus Tommy Purr for the supremacy of, of Sable fans there. But that'll do it for us this week on the show. Come back next week. We will have uh, another fun interview for all of y'all here. Make sure to check out the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash LGBT ring pod for all of our monthly bonus shows, as well as your chance to join the roster of lovelies and get your shout out on this show each and every week, just like Jerry legend Val Capone and Alex E. Um, so yeah, we have we have multiple tiers there. We're still exploring some ideas, maybe of of how we can make that a bit more beneficial to the people that do uh, support us over there on the Patreon. But you know, I understand financial support isn't always something that is feasible for a lot of people. So I thank everyone that it just continues to spread the word about this show um, and continues to kind of spread it by word of mouth and, and as we continue to grow our audience here and uh, I'm I'm always humble and thankful about that so that that's never going to change <laughs> um but yeah we'll see you next week until then y'all stay messy wash your hands wear your mask get vaccinated and boosted if at all possible same goes for monkeypox and a very happy birthday to Nyla Rose Bye. Everybody's ready to die. Everybody's ready to die. If they didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge, she made a team.